0: Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: In this episode of Audio Tidbits Podcast, I'm bringing to you the third part of just one big unhappy family. I am assuming that you have listened to the first two parts. If you have not yet had time to listen to those parts, please just ignore the references to people and situations from parts one or two. This part includes some tools and shortcuts that make it quicker and easier for you to assess the extent to which your family or any family is at risk. They help you sample behavior and attitudes and rapidly evaluate how family members get along with each other. You can quickly focus on the family's relationships and on the behavior and attitudes of each person in the family. The key to using these tools is understanding the idea of sampling. This simply means looking at a few examples of behavior and attitudes and coming to conclusions based on those few examples. If you want to know if an individual's behavior and attitudes are contributing to the family's being at risk, you could observe everything he or she does for a year and draw your conclusions from those observations. This is neither practical nor necessary. Rather, you need only look at a few examples of his or her behavior over a short period of time. If you are systematic as you get this sample of his or her behavior, your conclusions will be about as good as they would be if you spent a year. Let's start with a sample of behavior and attitudes from part 1 of One Big Unhappy Family. Instead of looking at behavior that puts your family at risk, let's focus on the counterpart of that behavior. I am only including behavior and attitudes that enable your family to succeed, to avoid being at risk. You may find it instructive to revisit part 1 to locate the signs and see where they fit into the range of risk covered there. If the answer to each of the following questions is yes for a specific member of the family, it is safe for you to conclude that his or her behavior and attitudes are not contributing to the family's being at risk. If the answers to some of the questions are no, his or her behavior and attitudes are problematic for the family. People often think their behavior is their business and that they should not be held accountable by other family members. They say, You have no right to tell me what to do or how to live. It is my life and I am in charge of it. It is easy to imagine Leroy saying something like that to TJ or to TJ's mother. Here is the problem. The individual's behavior and attitudes are jeopardizing the family. An appropriate response might be, Your behavior and attitudes are your business but also are my business because they put our family at risk. I care about our family and am concerned about anything that threatens it. Your behavior and attitudes are that kind of concern for me. I worry about you and also am afraid for our family. For each family member or for a specific member about whom you are concerned, ask the following
2: questions. Is he or she in good health and not often ill? Usually energetic and interested in what is going on in his or her world? Normally relaxed and comfortable with him or herself? Self-confident in most situations? Eating regularly in normal amounts? Not abusing or misusing alcohol or other drugs? Usually happy and in a positive mood? normally behaving appropriately, managing his or her anger and temper responsibly, feeling successful most of the time, usually responsible and dependable, able to deal well with most day-to-day stresses and pressures, able to make and keep friends, involved with friends who your family knows and of whom they approve, going to work or school regularly, doing well at work or in school, finishing jobs and other tasks by him or herself, on time, cooperating with supervisors, teachers, or others in authority, involved in healthy activities and projects, able to talk with the family about his or her activities, friends, and
1: problems. Now let's shift our attention to the primary adult relationship in the family. This is typically a marriage relationship, but does not necessarily include marriage. I will refer to the relationship as marital but keep in mind that it does not necessarily need to include marriage. Sampling marital risk works the same as sampling individual risk. Yes answers to all the questions mean the person's marital behavior and attitudes are not contributing to the family's being at risk. No answers are problematic. When assessing marital risk though, it is a little more complex. First, There is a fairly common belief that it takes two to make a bad marriage. Although both spouses are usually contributing to the problems, they may not be. As you can see from the marriage questions, you sample the marriage behavior and attitudes of each spouse. One can have more no answers than the other, and one of them may not be contributing to the risk at all. Here is the point. Marriage is sometimes described as being an institution, as a relationship and as two becoming one. You likely know of other ways of characterizing marriage. The idea is that it is a single thing, something one can look at and understand by itself. My goal here is not to debate this abstract issue. Rather, the goal is for you to look at the couple as two individuals who are the core of their family. The behavior and attitudes of each spouse need to be sampled. For example, the wife's behavior and attitudes reflect her skill at being married. Some behavior and attitudes show more marriage skill than others. Put it this way. If she is perfect at being married, she would always get all yeses on the marriage risk list. Each no suggests a point where she is less skilled. The more skilled each spouse is, the stronger their marriage is. The less skilled either spouse is, the higher the risk for their family. Additionally. Your understanding needs to reach to a more basic level. Within their marriage, they are friends, partners, and lovers. Friendship is the area that gets most of their time and energy, if their marriage is going well. Being partners is where they take care of the family's business and work together to parent their children, if they have any. Being lovers includes their sexual relationship and is where they share intimacy and closeness. All three areas are important and hold the possibility of richness and risk. To fully assess your marriage or any marriage, you need to extend the assessment to these three dimensions. For example, ask yourself this question. If you were your spouse would you enjoy having you as your friend, partner, and lover? Most of the items that I am going to share can be expanded in this same way to include the friendship, partnership, and lover dimensions of the marriage. Not to carefully assess all three dimensions is to only look at part of the picture. It will be a good exercise for you to sample the marriage of Leroy and TJ's mother. From the time TJ was six until 20 years later, you get glimpses of their friendship and partnership. Based on the information available, focus on their friendship, partnership, and lover relationship you will get some insight into their friendship and partnership and can intelligently speculate about their lover relationship. Based on your assessment, why do you think TJ was eventually excluded from the family? Why do you think they are still together 20 years later? If their marriage is their family today, what do you think the risk is for their family now? Okay, here we go. Each person in the primary adult relationship in the family should answer these questions for him herself.
2: Are you clear with your spouse about what is important to you? Do you have good personal habits? Are you fun to be around? Are you willing to take the first step to improve things or to work out problems? Do you keep hassles and arguments short, to the point, and under control? Are you open and upfront about what you think and feel? Do you know what your spouse thinks is important in your marriage? Do you manage relationships with relatives and ex-relatives in ways that keep them from interfering with your marriage? Are you a good money manager? Do you do all you can to help your relationship succeed? Do you have healthy relationships and activities outside your marriage? Do you and your spouse enjoy sex with each other? Do you stay true to your personal values and beliefs? If you were your spouse, would you enjoy being married to you?
1: Since the marital or adult-to-adult relationship is usually the key to understanding the level of risk within your family, your ability to understand and assess the three dimensions of that relationship is critical. Using the questions I just covered, see if you can pinpoint the risk points in the illustration. What behavior, attitudes, and values are putting the family at risk?
3: You used to be happy. You felt good about your marriage and knew it was a safe and predictable haven. You knew what kind of reactions you were going to get and how things would go. It was nice. Your world was not always rosy, but you could handle it. When things were not going well or turned out badly, you talked about it. You worked it out. Now everything gets you down and you cannot snap out of it. It has even gotten to where you did not care how you look. You see no reason to take the time and bother to take care of yourself, especially around home. It is all too much. It hurts too much to try to care, if you could anymore. It was like you could read each other's minds. You just knew. That was then. Now you have no idea. You're not sure what you think, how you feel. Talking and trying to explain are a waste of breath. You are usually spontaneous and ready for about anything. At least you used to be. You were a lot of fun. Now, even you did not enjoy you. Being you is no fun, and being around you is not something anyone would choose. Sure you are in a bad mood and hard to live with. Why wouldn't you be? The good times are gone, and you are not going to pretend they are not. You put on a good show of being relaxed and easygoing for friends and outsiders. Do you have them fooled? Inside you are tied up in knots. At home you are always on edge. You could cut the tension with a knife. You do not even go through the motions of caring about each other's feelings or acting like you care what is being said. It just does not matter anymore. It is not important. Hurting each other's feelings has become an everyday thing, several times a day. When you are not cared about, you quit caring. You used to try to be reasonable and were ready to understand, give the benefit of the doubt. Not anymore, never again. You were so patient, so understanding. You listened, cared, and were always there. Look what it got you. You were the one who tried. Who was the first to say, I'm sorry. Who always tried to fix things or smooth them over. Who always made the effort. Did you point fingers and accuse? Did you threaten to walk out every time you did not get your way? Did you act like what you wanted was all that matters? No you did not. You tried to help, tried to make things better. At least you worked on your marriage. Okay, maybe you were not always the one to try or the one to give in. You are not perfect but at least you were not the one who let arguments go on and on. At least you fought fair. You did not just yell louder and get more angry and say any hurtful thing you could think of. You were trying to solve problems, not just doing anything to hurt. At least you tried to save your marriage. At least you hung in there. You are not the one who stopped trying. It is hard to say when you lost the faith, stopped believing it would work. It just happened. You handled the ups and downs for a long time. You kept hoping. Things would get bad and then they would get better for a while. It got to where the bad times were really bad and the good times never came. Whatever you had was gone and is not coming back. It is one of those things. You hear it all the time. You grew apart. No, it was not like that at all. It did not just happen. You knew it would not stay like it was when you were dating, not even like when you were first married. Anyone who thinks it can is a fool. Every relationship changes. Stuff happens and the world goes on. You have to be mature enough to handle it. You are mature enough but cannot make it work by yourself. It takes two to make a marriage and you had to do it by yourself. It cannot be all fun and games. Things change. People change. You changed. You could not be the only one who changed. You thought you would grow and change together. You are not the same as you were when you were first married. You have changed a lot. You are older and have responsibilities. You have less time for fun and know what your priorities are, what they have to be. You have devoted yourself to your family. You have sacrificed a lot. You used to have a lot of friends too. You had things to do, places to go, and many interests. You gave them up when you got married. That is how it is supposed to be. You give 100%. It seems like all you do is work and try to take care of your family. You are always there for them look what it got you. You are left trying and caring by yourself. Now you have no friends, no interests other than your family, and no one to share it with. Why you? You thought the deal was to stick it out. For you, it was a commitment. You should have seen it coming. You held up your end but should have seen it coming. You see now it started with little things. A little complaint here, a little criticism there, a little less warmth now a little less interest then and it was gone, if it was ever there. You wonder. When did you stop trying quite so hard? When did you stop depending quite so much on the relationship? When did you start trying to boss each other around and tell each other what to do, how to be? When did you lose the give and take? When did you stop having time for each other, stop finding time to play? When did you start talking about who was doing the most, trying the hardest? When did you start blowing up over every little thing? When did you lose your best friend? You used to be a team. You would talk and decide what was important, what your priorities were. When one of you felt strongly about something, the other would support it, try hard to make it work. If something came up, one of you would go ahead and take care of it. You knew what the other would do, would want. It was automatic. You were always upfront with each other about what you thought about things and were open to the other's ideas and opinions. You did not always agree but it worked. If there were problems, you worked them out and did not blame or accuse or threaten. You were a team, and you always found a solution you both could live with. It had a lot to do with trust and faith. Neither of you went off half-cocked or did something on your own that would mess things up. You each knew what you could and could not do you knew what your rights were. When did your rights become an issue? You never thought it would get to where you would argue about who had a right to do what. You are not a team anymore. You are just both looking out for number one. It may sound a little crude, but you both spend most of your time wondering who is going to screw whom. You were not different than any other couple. Sure, you had money problems once in a while. You both owned your problems. You were in it together. You each did what you could to carry your share of the load. It was hard sometimes, but you each had your responsibilities and were responsible people. At least that is how you thought it was. When did it get so one sided? When did the problems become your fault and fixing them your job? When did you stop being a team? Why were you the one who was supposed to save money, do without, and make ends meet? It looked like you let the bills get out of hand all by yourself. On top of that, You were accused of being lazy and not doing your share to get out of the mess. Things were going down the tube thanks to you, or so you kept being told. Okay, you are not much of a money manager. You are too quick to charge things and do not worry much about how you will pay if there is something you really want. If you need it, you need it. Life is too short to always do without. You cannot be expected to only work and never have any fun. You do not see anyone else in your family doing without, not to point any fingers at the only other so-called adult around. You did not get into this mess by yourself. You cannot help it if you like nice things. That is how you are and you are not going to change. You are not going to cut corners while someone else acts like money grows on trees. You have talked about the problems and about what needs to happen. It all sounds good. It is just not that easy. So what if you agreed to watch your pennies for a while? It was not you who got the two of you into this situation anyway. You are not going to be the one to sacrifice, not by yourself. You know what needs to happen. You have talked and pleaded until you are blue in the face. Why should you care? You have pinched pennies and done without, but no more. Money goes out like water through a sieve. If you did not have to do it all, it would work. It is not fair. It is just not fair. It used to be magic. You and your spouse each knew what the other wanted, how to scratch the itch so to speak. It was always new, always the first time. There were no rules. You were both ready, whenever, wherever, for whatever. It was gentle, exciting, tender, and wild. Lovemaking was passion at its best and most intense. You were considerate of each other's feelings, each other's needs each other's preferences. No one was in charge, no one gave more or got less. It was not that kind of thing anyway. It was magic, and you took turns being the magician. The magic did not stay the same. It changed and matured as your marriage matured. Neither of you had any problem with the change, the change was itself exciting and stimulating. It assured lovemaking never got boring. You never knew what to expect. You just knew it would be fun and exciting. You do not know quite how or when you got into the affair, when you went over the line, when you broke the faith with your spouse. It was just one of those things. One thing led to another and then to another. It was not something you planned or thought about. It was just something you could not control, did not want to control. You had never thought about someone making a special effort to love you in the special way you wanted. You never thought about someone putting you in your pleasure first. It was like someone making love to you without any thought you would return the gesture. There was a sexual attraction with your new lover you had never felt before. You had been turned on, but in that relationship, you were the attraction. You did not have to read anyone's mind and wonder how you were doing. You did not have to wait and hope for what you wanted. You were asked. You only needed to say what you wanted and you were immediately satisfied. There was no concern about the bills, the children, or whether the car got fixed, there were not other things to interfere or take away from the lovemaking. Lovemaking within your marriage is great, at least you thought it was great. This was different though, better, more honest. Sure, you thought about sex with your new lover and looked forward to it. You thought about little else, still think about little else. There was a lot more to the relationship than sex though. If it had only been for sex, you would have wanted no part of it. The two of you could talk, really understand each other. You were accepted and understood in ways you did not know were possible. No, it was not just sex. You were more easily sexually aroused than you would have believed. Sex was so easy and natural. You were better than ever. You only had to experience the response you got to know how good it was, how good you were. There were no demands, no expectations. Neither of you did anything you were not comfortable with or did not want to do. Your relationship was open and free. The relationship was the most important thing. It was much more important than sex. Sex was no more than your way of communicating. It was not like you were doing anything really wrong. You were faithful to your spouse in an odd sort of way. Your lover understood this, although you were not so well understood at home. Even though you know the relationship is over you are not sorry. You only feel badly about the hurt it has caused. It is not something you did on purpose. You wanted to be put in the past. Your spouse has tried to forgive you, although there is really little to forgive. Anyway, you think it should not be brought up anymore. You do not bring up past lovers and want the same consideration. Accusing and bringing up the past does neither of you any good. You need to get on with your marriage, your life together now the whole thing is confusing. It is hard to sort out the relationships. You wish you could just stop and start over again.
1: Now let's shift our attention to the children and relationships with them. Sampling parent behavior and attitudes is much the same as sampling individual and marriage risk. Simply focus on one parent at a time
2: and answer these questions. Are you responsible and fair when disciplining your child? Do you know what your child needs from you? Can you get your child to cooperate without using physical punishment or other fear tactics? Do you spend some time every day talking or playing with your child? Does your child like to spend time with you? Are you usually pleased with and proud of your child? Are you familiar with and interested in your child's activities? Do you know about and are you helping with your child's problems and difficulties? Do you set a good example for your child? Do you give your child space to grow and learn on his or her own? Are you interested in what your child thinks and feels about things? Are you usually able to get your child to accept and follow your values and beliefs? Do you know and approve of your child's friends? Do you do all you reasonably can to support your child's interests, activities, and goals? This
1: is
0: how the sampling might go for Leroy as TJ's parent. Leroy was neither reasonable nor fair when disciplining TJ. From his behavior... It is fair to conclude he did not know what TJ needed from him or did not care. Either way, TJ was not getting his needs met. Physical punishment and fear tactics were Leroy's only approach to getting TJ to cooperate. Spending time talking and playing with TJ were not activities Leroy valued, and he probably did not do them at all, and assuredly not every day. It was equally clear TJ did not like to spend time with Leroy. This was so much the case that TJ tried not to even be in the same house with his stepfather. As you see, the parent risk for Leroy keeps getting higher and higher. Completing the list of questions only serves to demonstrate how bad the parent disaster gets. The parent risk for Leroy was off the scale, and it was virtually inevitable the family could not survive the extreme risk. It is also instructive to sample the parent risk for TJ's mother. Was she responsible and fair when disciplining T.J.? She certainly was not. Why? Much of the time, she was more concerned about not upsetting Leroy than about what was fair for T.J. Although it seems she knew what T.J. needed, his needs were not a priority for her. Was she able to get T.J. to cooperate without using physical punishment and other fear tactics? Sadly, she was not. One of her main techniques was to tell TJ that if he did not behave appropriately, Leroy would get upset. TJ was to try to get along. The threat, the element of fear was that Leroy would become violent. She used Leroy to threaten and control TJ. Applying the rest of the parent risk questions to her paints a picture almost as dismal as painted for Leroy. The parent risk for her was very high. Given that level, it is not surprising things fell apart. Now try this. Think about TJ's parenting experience. Combine the behavior and attitudes of both parents, and look at the combination as a single experience. It is this parenting experience that gets the job done or fails to get it done for a child, if both parents are in the home. If there is one parent on a day-to-day basis, then the parent at home is the child's primary parenting experience. But if there are two parents at home, the combination is the key to understanding. Think about it like this. If a child has one skilled parent at home, and one who is functioning very badly, the parent risk is at the level of the behavior and attitudes of the worst parent. The youngster has a bad parenting experience, and the parent risk is high. It is not enough to say, but I am good to her. Unless both of you are good to her, she suffers, and the risk to your family is high.